God's word for us today is the entire chapter of Genesis, chapter 39. That's the story of Joseph in Potiphar's house in Egypt. He's a servant there. He's the head servant in charge of Potiphar's household, being propositioned by Potiphar's wife and his godly response and how that makes a difference for us. I'm not going to read the entire chapter. It's printed in your worship folder. I'm going to refer to various verses of it during the sermon. So uh, follow along on the sermon notes. If you're here at Holy Word this morning, those are in the pink sheet inserted in the service folder. If you're listening online, those are posted on our website, holyword.net. I'm going to share with you some staggering statistics, so pay attention. 66% of teens and young adults have received a sexually explicit text message via texting or Snapchatting. Nearly half of teens, and, and the, the, the group that surveyed here is Americans, church people, non-church people, all of us, okay? Nearly half of teens have had sex by the age of 19. Living together before marriage has increased by 900% in the last 50 years. Teens and young adults in this survey it came out that they said it is more immoral to not recycle than to look at porn. 96% of young adults say that pornography is acceptable, neutral, or encouraging. 66% of men view porn at least monthly. Ten years ago, 54% of Americans opposed same-sex marriage. Today, 62% of Americans support it. Do you see that flip? 100% of men and boys fantasize about sexual fulfillment with a female who is not their spouse. I made that one up, but it's true. 100% of women and girls have given in to identity bullying, which is, on the one hand, the church saying, you're valued and accepted if you're sexually pure. And on the other hand, it's society saying, you're valued and accepted if you give it up for sex. And women and girls are caught in between. Here are the most important numbers that I have to share with you besides all those. Here's another one. All of these, 100% of these, are sins that violate the sixth commandment. Here's the sixth commandment. You shall not commit adultery. What does this mean? We should fear and love God. That we lead a sexually pure and decent life in what we say and do, and that husband and wife love and honor each other. I don't know if you'll find this statistic staggering, but it is also more important than everything that I just said. Those numbers that I gave that apply to the people, the people is us. Half, 
nearly half of the teens in right here sitting next to us, you can look at them and see them. Half of them have sex before they're 19. These are our teens, your children and grandchildren sitting here. There is a man here who struggles with pornography and probably more than one man here among us. This is us. This is Bible-believing, God-loving, Jesus-worshiping, church-attending people. We have here among us husbands and wives and ex-husbands and ex-wives who struggle mightily with with ideal expectations about a spouse. And when those ideal expectations are not met, there's been a divorce. Or there's struggle and strife in the marriage. And it's not because of my spouse, but it's because of my ideal expectations that I put on him or her. Or if I'm single, divorced, or widowed, idealistic expectations about how I'm supposed to be fulfilled by finding a spouse. There are people next to you sitting here who struggle with those things. These things are us. These things are me. Here's the biggest truth of all. Take this with you. Pack it up to get with you today. Here's the most important one. There is one solution. And it is the best and it is the most hopeful and it has healing and it has help for all of us. Here it is. There is one solution, one God, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. There is one robe of righteousness that Jesus gives to all of us to equip us to be pure and holy, to keep our clothes on to be sexually pure. And by that I mean Jesus' clothes that he gives us in our baptism. So whether you are married or divorced, whether you are widowed or single, young adult, never been married, everything in the Sixth Commandment, all of this applies to all of us in one way or another. And the lessons are powerful and they're hard and they're good when it comes today to the Sixth Commandment. Um, So here's the purpose of my sermon today. Number one, I want to clarify for all of us what sins against the sixth commandment look like among us, not just out in the world, here. And, and I want God's word to comfort us too. To comfort us to know that even Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, church-attending people struggle with sixth commandment sins. And it, and it doesn't forfeit your relationship with God or get you kicked out of church. And finally, there's a choice for us to make. A choice for us as God's people to defend and protect and to keep holy these gifts of sex and marriage that God gives to us in our own lives. And it all starts with this story of Joseph and his cloak. We need to understand the story of Joseph and his cloak and it's going to help us when it comes to the Sixth Commandment and keeping it in our lives. So the story of Joseph and his cloak starts earlier than Genesis chapter 39. It starts in Genesis chapter 37. It's the first book of the Bible. And in chapter 37, we we hear the story of Joseph beginning. Joseph was one of 12 sons of a man named Jacob. 
And the Bible tells us about the relationship of Jacob and Joseph. And it says this in chapter 37, verses 3 and 4. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. They were just fixated on this favoritism. And, and, and Jacob wasn't doing Joseph any favors because now the brothers hated Joseph. It didn't help that Joseph was also having dreams at this point. He's probably, a, I don't know, a 15-year-old, 16, 17, somewhere in there. He's having these dreams, and one of his dreams is he and his brothers are out in the fields, and there's these stalks of grain, and his stalks are formed into this bundle, and, and his stalks raise up, and the other stalks, representing his brothers, are on the ground, and they raise up a little bit, and then they fall down before Joseph's big bundle standing up, meaning, my brothers, you're going to serve me and be subservient to me. Oh, and Joseph told his brothers that dream, and they hated him all the more, the Bible says. So here's what happened. Verses 24 to 28, here's a summary. It says, when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe that he was wearing, and sold him to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt as a slave. Then remember, if you know the story, remember what the brothers did with the robe after they stripped it off Joseph? They dipped it in goat's blood, took it back to their dad, and said, oh, how sad. Joseph was attacked by a wild animal, and this is all we have as evidence of it. And they dipped his robe in blood, and Jacob mourned. And now Joseph is in Egypt. The Ishmaelites sold him to a man a commander in the army in Egypt known as Potiphar. Joseph became a servant in Potiphar's house. He rose up the ranks of servant and eventually became the servant in charge of all the servants and even the head of Potiphar's household. And guess what? Joseph got a cloak back. He got the cloak of a supervisor and the head of household, richly ornamented, showing that he was the boss in the house because Potiphar noticed him and put him in charge. Someone else noticed Joseph too. Verses 6 and 7 in Genesis 39. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the other household servants was inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house, frustrated by lack of attention, probably lack of attention from Potiphar in some way. Was he out winning wars and losing his family? I don't know. But certainly frustrated by a lack of attention from Joseph. Here's what she did. She took this cloak that she had yanked off of him when he ran she kept it as evidence, and she framed Joseph. When Potiphar came home, she said, because of her frustration with Joseph, she said to her husband, Potiphar, honey, the, the Joseph came in, uh, and he wanted me to come to bed with him, and I screamed, and he ran off, and now, look, I have his cloak. And Potiphar put him in prison. 
and his richly ornamented cloak of head of household was replaced with prison clothes. Dirty, sweaty, unclean prison clothes. You think of all these wardrobe changes that Joseph then had over, over this not super long span of time. It's a couple of years within which this happened. From multicolored robe, uh, and, and you know, the robe, the cloak, it's, it's an outer piece of clothing of some kind. In that era, they had like inner clothing that were a bit tighter to the skin, usually a belt around them. We'd probably refer to them as underwear. They, they kind of treated them as that. If, you, if all you had on was your inner clothing, sometimes called a tunic, if that's all you had on, you were considered naked. Kind of like if you'd see a guy running around in his underwear out on downtown Pflugerville, it would just be odd, right? You'd, you, you just didn't do that. So that's, they just wore these inner clothes in their, in their private homes. You always had something on top of it, over it. And one of those pieces was this cloak or this ornate robe that Joseph's dad made for him that looked different than all the others. Um, but Joseph had so many of these. His robe that his father gave him, then that was taken away, dipped in blood. Then he gained a richly decorated one from being head of household. And then he lost that. Then he gained uh, prison clothes. Yet, here's the secret. Throughout these wardrobe changes, something did not change. Genesis chapter 39, verses 2 and 3 say this. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. The Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything he did. And then even in prison later, verse 23 says, the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Joseph found identity and purpose in something other than his outward, outside cloak. He found it in that. He found it in the Lord, giving him success and blessing him in whatever he did. That, not Joseph's willpower, not his wise lessons that he learned through all this, but that, the Lord blessing him, was his sexual purity. That allowed him to say no to Potiphar's, Potiphar's wife. And that is yours too. All right? Your sixth commandment, purity. Being a, a, a loving and honoring husband or wife. Being a person who respects God's gift of sex for you personally, the people around you in our world. Right? Your sexual purity doesn't come from your willpower, doesn't, doesn't come from your sexual fulfillment, and nor is it taken away by sexual frustration. It, it, it isn't impacted by your gender confusion or your confidence in your gender identity. It, none of that makes you pure and chaste. God does. God giving you his blessing like he gave Joseph. That's what doesn't change. And Joseph never took that off. It, it wasn't taken from him. It wasn't given to him by anybody except his Savior. And that was his sexual purity. Um, I want to show you another piece of clothing now. I talked about Joseph's cloak, Joseph's clothing. I want to show you another one, but 
But in order for me to show you this one, it's very important that, that you are able, in your own mind and heart right now, to be honest with God about your own sins against the Sixth Commandment. And for you to come to view this piece of clothing in humble repentance. And it's then that you're going to appreciate it the most and it's going to help you the most. Also understand this. When Joseph responds to Potiphar's wife who propositioned him to come to bed, he, he said two very important things. I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you his words here and there's two important things in here. Okay? He said, verse 9, to Potiphar's wife, when she asked him, he said, My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. That's part one. Part two. How then can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? See, Joseph understood two things. That sexual sins hurt people. And that that sins against the Sixth Commandment hurt God. Right? Six, six Commandment sins destroy families and they destroy relationships and they destroy marriages. Six Commandment sins destroy the person who is the object of your disordered and imbalanced lust, affection, or ideal expectations within marriage or outside of it. They destroy that person because they will never be your savior and you may be expecting them to be. This could even apply to the spouse you do not yet have. Sins against the sixth commandment destroy not only people and our relationship with them, but our relationship with God. He's the one who gave us that gift And then we're abusing it. They will separate you from God. They will destroy your relationship with God if you sin against the sixth commandment and you don't admit it, you don't acknowledge it, and you're not willing to approach God with it. That's the danger in these words from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Listen to this. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, that's people who have ideal expectations of others more than of Jesus, sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor men who have sex with men will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. Paul's talking to the Corinthians. That's what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The problem is earthly pain and eternal punishment the solution. The solution is keeping your clothes on, your Jesus clothes, for sexual purity. The solution is a gift. Not willpower, not personality, not style, not an achievement. It's a gift, a gift to us from God. So I want to show you this piece of clothing now. And it's not, it's not Joseph's outer clothing. It was his inner clothing. That piece of clothing is a, it's a piece of clothing that belongs to Jesus. And there's some striking similarities between Jesus' clothing and Joseph's cloak. Okay, so I'm going to take you through this list here of, of how Jesus is like Joseph. 
Uh, And there's some similarities here. So just like Joseph, Jesus was the favorite son. And Jesus' father, God the Father, gave Jesus a special cloak, a special robe. And here's what it is. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Philippians 2, verse 8 also says this, Being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The cloak that the Father God the Father gave to God the Son was his human nature. That was that his cloak, his clothing. And his own brothers and even the crowds hated him for it. And then this happened. Just like Joseph was stripped, this, this is what happened. Right? The governor's soldiers took Jesus, stripped him, and put a scarlet robe on him. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes. These blood-stained clothes of Jesus, like the blood-stained robe of Joseph, showed that, that he died a death he didn't deserve. He was framed. Just like Joseph's brothers made up a story and, and, and kind of framed him and presented him as dead, Jesus really was dead. The blood-stained clothes of Jesus show that he took that earthly pain and that eternal punishment and that he died for all of us, for all of our sins against the sixth commandment. God showed his anger at them on the cross and Jesus paid the price for all of them. Then another Joseph, this is the New Testament Joseph, a follower of Jesus, called Joseph of Arimathea, took Jesus' body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb. New clothes, burial clothes, clean, fresh clothes for Jesus' dead body. Clothes he needed for only how many days? Three. Because on the third day, the disciples Peter and John went into the tomb. They saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around his head. Like Joseph's cloak that was taken from him, given to him, blood-stained, sweat-stained, ornamented. Jesus wore these clothes, these outer cloaks and these clothing, and sometimes they condemned him, and sometimes they signified his glory. And, and through all of it, Jesus was winning purity for you and for me and was weaving a robe of righteousness that you and I wear all the days of our life. And Jesus now shares his clothes with us. That is where our purity lies. Um, we're, we're all wearing it right now. We're all wearing this, this wardrobe of Jesus, this robe of righteousness. We don't take it off. Galatians 3.27, that verse that we use for Liana's baptism, right? All of us who have been baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. 
even when we struggle with six commandment sins, we don't lose Jesus' clothes. We have them on. They are never stained with sin. They, are, they can never be ripped off of you. As a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, church-attending Christian, you have Jesus' clothes all the time. They are your purity. So clothed with Christ, you are whole and complete. Clothed with Christ, you are loved and known. Clothed with Christ, you are beautiful and strong. You don't need sexual sin to give you any of those things. Jesus has already given them to you. See, it's your identity. It's not what you do. It's who you are that makes you sexually pure. And it's who you are in Christ. I want to read you a quote right now from a book I'm going to show you in just a minute that, that is powerful and really applies. It says this, You've probably identified yourself as something less than how God identifies you. Maybe you identify yourself as shameful, worthless, inadequate, or weak. You don't think you measure up to society's expectations. Whatever you choose to define yourself by, that's where God wants to meet you, heal you, and deliver you from these faulty and death-giving identities. God knows exactly where you are. Your journey begins right where you are, not where you ought to be. Are you lost? It's perfectly okay to stop and ask for directions. Jesus is a trustworthy guide. If there's one thing I want you to take away from today as we live in the grace and peace and forgiveness of Jesus, it's this. You can be a Jesus-loving, Bible-believing, church-attending Christian who also struggles with six commandment sin. It does not end a relationship with God or with the church. Like any other sin, it just means we're flawed, failed human beings who need the grace of God in our lives. So can we be honest with each other? Can we, can we invade each other's lives with the truth of God's word and his grace? And can we be real? Can you? Send me an email this week and for the first time, let someone know what you are struggling with in the Sixth Commandment. I, I, will, I will not condemn you. The church will not condemn you. I will not judge you. I walk with you as we struggle with these things. I will remind you of the clothes of Jesus Christ that you wear. Talk, 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 talk. Talk to your children and grandchildren about these things. If you don't teach them about God's gifts of sex and marriage, YouTube and Netflix and their classmates will. Teach your children and grandchildren. Make these things a conversation around the home. Let them know that it's not wrong to struggle. It's wrong to keep it a deep, dark secret. Cultivate a strong marriage. If you're married, you're not protected 
by that from, from struggling with the Sixth Commandment. Um, Cultivate a Strong Marriage. This is a booklet called Stronger Together, 30 Days to a More Godly Marriage. Um, Kara and I are going through this right now. Day takes us like three days to get through a day because we just end up talking so much and praying so much. But if you're married, cultivate, pay attention to your marriage relationship. It is the most important relationship you have on this earth besides your relationship with God. More important than your relationship with your kids, your pets, your favorite sports team, your house, or your job. Are you spending time on making your marriage healthier and stronger? If not, this book will help. If you struggle with same-sex attraction, if you are becoming confused about gender identity and issues, it's okay. We are flawed, failed human beings, and we're not perfect. If you are, go to rainbowsavior.com. It's a beautiful website. They have material there that is helpful for Christians who are engaged in this battle and this struggle. If you ever have any thoughts or have continuing struggle with porn, this is an awesome book. A group of pastors and I just finished reading it. It's called Surfing for God, Discovering the Divine Desire Beneath Sexual Struggle. It will equip you with what you need from God. And it's a mix. We need, we need accountability. We need counseling. But we need God's grace first and foremost. And it's going to equip you with that. All these are noted in the sermon notes uh, here and online as well. If you want to know more about them, uh, get a hold of me. We, I am here and the church is here to help. Do not struggle alone. That is a very strong message that I'm saying publicly and and guided by God's word today, and I want you to remember that. We're, we're in this together. And even in sins against the sixth commandment, as with sins against any commandment, Jesus walks with us. And he loves us, and he leads us by his grace. Let's open the conversation. Let's be leaders with each other in our church, with our families, and in our community. And let's show God and others what sexual purity in keeping the sixth commandment looks like. And God will bless it. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for these big, powerful blessings of sex and marriage. It's very easy to become confused about them when our society is bombarding us with improper messages. We can so subtly get drawn in and not realize that we're going the opposite direction than what you want. Jesus, we have full confidence in your grace that seeks and searches and finds us. Your grace, Lord Jesus, has found our hearts yet again this morning. Filled with your love, clothed in your robe of righteousness, may we have the strength, may we have the courage, and and may we have the wisdom to follow you as we seek sexual purity and honoring marriage in our world. In Jesus' name, amen.